are back on another episode of We Making It Woo. This is a weekly conversation of access to success so we can what? Progress. Your girl has been practicing on this tagline and we are here for it. Guys, before we get into anything, I have to proclaim and shout to the heavens. Y'all, this is episode 20. We is deep Ooh. up in this place. I am like overjoyed and so excited. This was um, a dream come true in so many ways. And it's been really well received. If you have any critical or prescriptive feedback I learned last night is another way to say that. If you have any of that feedback, you got my email. Let me know. I'm always looking to grow. But also, let us celebrate the love. I've been getting a lot of love. So just, yes, this is episode 20. We up in the building. As always, if you want to be a part of the conversation, email me or DM me. If you're really close to me, just text me. Uh, but that's katysmiles.nyc. Katie, because it's my name, smile, because my smile is cute. .nyc, because that's where we at. Shout out to Mike Brown and Kuhu Verma for this amazing intro song. I know I sometimes shout them out at the end, but it's on my mind, so I just want to shout them out. Mike wrote the song, and Kuhu's on vocals. So what happened last night? Guys, I went to this thing called The Open Share. It's through the Musical Theater Factory right there off of Lafayette, uh, close to St. Mark's. Uh, it was an opportunity for anybody dealing with musical theater to come and just show what they're working on and receive feedback. Um, this would be kind of like a works in progress type of showing if you are more dancer related. Um, but I, given that I'm singing a lot more and, you know, I got to work at work with the amazing Nia Witherspoon. If you don't know who she is, please look her up. Shout out to you, Nia. Uh, I definitely feel uh, drawn to experimental theater, immersive theater, dance theater. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to go and just see what other people are doing. Uh, shout out to everybody who was there last night. There were just some amazing makers. Uh, and these people can write music, which I'm just like in awe of because I can't do that yet. I'm getting there. I think I'm getting there. Uh, so yeah, that's what I did last night. Shout out to Musical Theater Factory. Shout out to... um. I think it's Joe's Pub. There's a couple of things going on. Uh, if you need more information, I can like loop you into that loop. Loop. Uh, just let me know. And then um, check the Musical Theater Factory website out because they've got some other things going up. I know I'm going to probably try to go on Saturday for a POC roundtable, which would be mm. just another opportunity to get to know some makers in the field. So that's what happened last night. What am I reading? Y'all, I've got the book out this time. I am reading Notes from a Young Black Shelf, a memoir by Kwame Onowuchi. Kwame, I'm so sorry if I, if I pronounced that wrong. I'm almost done with it. If you don't know me personally, I love, love, love memoirs. And this one has not disappointed me yet. I think it's poignant. I think it's super relatable. Y'all, he's 26 in part of this book. So... <laughs> yeah, I just think it's super inspiring. He did not go down the tracks that were like uh, most highly sought after. Um, I think the way that he talks about race as it relates to cooking um, is really well said. You know, one of the best quotes that I read so far was obedience is not an option when the system is aligned against you. Huh. It really stuck with me because I remember... I just remember Miss Lisea, shout out to you, my favorite first grade teacher. She was like, the nail that sticks out gets hammered in. And to read that quote, to remember feeling that quote as a kid, and then to read this one as an adult, I'm like, well, this is why I stick out, right? Because I don't feel like I need to be in anyway. Like, I don't feel like the system that you're asking me to be in is really what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so all that to say, notes from a young black chef, Kwame, you did the damn thing on this book. It's an amazing, amazing memoir. I'm so glad that I have it and I'm reading it. So yeah, and if you need some recommendations or you want to shoot me a recommendation, that's also another reason to email me. So now that we got that out the way, I'm sold on that book. Uh, it's really, really good. I'll give you a I'll give you, I'll bless you borrow my copy if you want me to. Thank you. 
I have a special guest in the building. Special guest, can you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, my name's Chapin Seymour. Hey, hey, Chapin is in the building. This is, um, I was telling Emily last night, this is such a special moment. I was like a Chapin super fan during winter, no, summer study 2016. I hadn't even graduated from school yet. I was in the city for the first time. That's right. Chapin had this one combination. If you're like, a, what do we call them? Chapinites. That's what we're going to call them for oh, now. Well, please don't. If Let's you... <laughs> not. Can we not? Nah, I'm really, I'm really against that on so many different levels. Continue with the story, please. But that's... If you are a consistent class taker of Chapin, Back in 2016, that would have I talk consistently, but that's a whole other. You discussion. did te- that summer. You talked that, consistently. That's true. I did. That's true. So yeah, just for just for summer 2016 is what we're mm-hmm. talking about. If you remember him teaching for 2016, he was showing work at Triskelion, but he had this one combination to Ultralight Beam by Kanye West. Oh yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Y'all, I died for this combination. I was in there for the gods. It was oh. it was specifically to Chance's uh, verse, which yes. is really the part of the song anyway. Oh my gosh. So for this to be the 20th episode and think about like uh, my trajectory, knowing you, it's just really, um, it's so sweet. And I'm just really, really glad to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. Very exciting. So, Shavid is showing work at Triskelion on May... 17th and 18th at 8 p.m. Yes. Tickets are available now. Shout out to Ellen. What is Ellen's last name? Ellen Maynard of the and the Fleet NYC. They're dance video uh, artists who are really incredible. Also incredible dancers and choreographers themselves. But Yes, the promo good, good for people. this show is absurd. Mm-hmm. I'm so here for it. But, as always... Well, usually I would ask you, what are you making? But now I know what you're making. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about the the dreaming and the mixing bowl and the ingredients that you were conjuring to kind of get you ready to show this work. Yeah. Um, as I've been, <laughs> uh, quick plug, we're running a Kickstarter to raise money for like last minute funding. But as yeah. a result of reaching out and writing about this work and like talking about the process, it's actually almost a two-year period of research and development. Um, It kind of started my last year of graduate school at the University of Iowa, where I was for the last two years before, uh, well, last spring, essentially. Um, And my thesis project was kind of embroiled in this struggle of trying to make something that I felt like could speak to how I felt about um, the socio-political environment. Now, mind you, I was in Iowa for the 2016 election, which, you know, I'm depending, you know, I'm not going to assume how all your listeners feel, but I'm going to assume we were all pretty downtrodden after that. Yeah. Um, and kind of left me in a place of feeling like, really, what is what is my role in this? Not as just a dancer, not as, like, as a citizen, mm-hmm. which is kind of like too heady of a question. And then on top of that, um, in specifically the uh, U of I's dance program, you spend a lot of time on like theoretical and postmodern thought in terms of how we rationalize our work and how difficult that can be to kind of situated in a critical discussion um right. and you know reading a lot about thinking about like um ralph lemon's work and other people who use text and dance and commentary in a really um cohesive way to kind right. of acknowledge the limits of dance but then also um still you know have that push the boundaries that that that, that, that irrational confidence that like what we do should matter and because we think it does and we have this community built around it it does so that was kind of like the starting seed um and the more i talk about it the more convoluted and spirally it gets but yeah um at this point it's become an experiment i was uh fortunate to be a choreographic fellow at jacob's pillow at the end of last summer which is an incredible program if if you haven't applied i think the application is still open for this summer i would definitely recommend it um when i was there it was with uh, risa steinberg who teaches at juilliard and diane mcintyre goddess of all all that we do um and then this year, I believe it's actually uh, Reese's back with uh, B.B. Miller. So that's going to be really excited to see like what the cohort there <laughs> will be. Two more goddesses. Like. I know, right? <laughs> um, so I that was a really incredible opportunity to kind of take those ideas and seeds and start working with um, two of my longer time collaborators, Cameron McKinney, who uh, runs his own company, Kizuna Dance, and then Sophie Satsuki, who also runs her own company, Tyke Dance. And we've been kind of in each other's networks for a while. We did the piece that you saw at Trisky yes, in two years ago, three years ago now. Whoa. Um, they were both in that process and yeah. Cam's been, uh, been a friend and a collaborator for a while. Um, so when it came back to transitioning back to New York, it made sense. Like, why don't I find people that I know? Right. I just, I mean, it started with like, who do I want to hang out with for 10 days in the woods and make some dance? Right. Um, right. so we got to, we got there and just built a lot of material, uh, <laughs> probably over like 
two thirds of which is not actually in the piece anymore because that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Um, and then I was really lucky to come back to New York and kind of through networking and kind of reaching out through class and having a couple open rehearsals, uh, assemble a team of really awesome collaborators to build yeah. this piece for the show in May. Yeah. But talk to me a little bit about, so you're in the woods, you're making work with Sophie and Cameron, mm -hmm. shout out to you guys because I, I know you guys personally. Ooh. Hey, y'all. Um, so a couple of things that come into mind. So for those who don't know, Cameron identifies as black. Yes. Uh, he identifies as male. Mm -hmm. Sophie identifies as... I believe female. Female. It's never come up, actually. But yes. So you guys... You might want to edit that out. <laughs> uh, well, Sophie, we'll if you, well, Sophie, if you don't identify as this thing, just reach out to me and I'll definitely post it on the thing. And like punch um, me in the gut the next person and be like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> so the 2016 election is a huge conversation starter, yeah. first of all. And then you're in the woods with two people because you identify as male, but you identify as uh, in terms of what in, in terms of ethnicity. Uh, that's a really good question. I think uh, to borrow a term from our gender studies colleagues, I'd like the term racial nonconforming. Now, I recognize that there's an incredible amount of privilege that comes with that because I am of color, but I'm white passing. So yeah. there's this like. I mean, you know, the uh, double consciousness, all that stuff really plays in, in, you know, the code switching. I'm very familiar with all those ideas because it's just kind of how I've been brought up between dealing with one side of my family versus the other or, right. you know, growing up at a, in a black Episcopal church, but also going to like a really exclusive, expensive private school in Brooklyn. So yeah. I've always been kind of okay with existing in like multiple truths and multiple realities. Right. So that's why I use that term and with the acknowledgement that I don't think that race and gender function the same way because they don't based right. on historical precedents, power structures, all that stuff. But right. I think there is room to kind of, at least for my own work kind of, or my own identifying kind of push that boundary a little bit. Right. Which is a great, yeah, that, so that's my conversation. So you got three people in this, in these woods. Mm -hmm. And there were um, a crew of 10 other really awesome choreographers from all over the world who had, we, they did a really incredible job of curating different voices. So none of us were making the same type of work. Yeah. Um, and that was really encouraging because it was process oriented. We weren't supposed to like do a showing or any sort right. of like formal thing. It was just a chance to be there. And we were there for like the end of the festival, so we got to see some of the performances and experience that. But then we were there for an extra week with nobody there, which was like incredibly blessed and amazing. Just being on that campus and having access to all that space, and it felt if it was like a perfect chance to kind of, um, in a low pressure stake situation, just try to see what's coming out now. Right, and see that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Given that you have three people in the woods that yeah. are identifying in different places, so that mm -hmm. this election is going to hit them very differently. What were some of the driving moments? What was the what were this what was this movement coming from in terms of yeah. emotionality, in terms of intentionality? Yes, what does it mean to be a citizen? But then you got two other people. What is their relationship to the word citizen? Yeah, what was that conversation right? It's funny. I we it was I think because of the way I work, I'm so interested in the body first that we there okay. were we spent most of the time just like sweating and building um cool. and that started with like i tend to start with like a long bass phrase like one to two minutes of material that's like built to a song that i'm really into uh, for this piece it was sicko mode by travis scott yeah um which i have a lot of different feelings about and i think is an incredible song but also like a ridiculous piece of like overt pop sensationalism but you know that's america right, right. um so it was start it started with that type of uh physical embodied research is where i like to be first and then there were a lot of discussions kind of around what the the ideas were, what I was thinking about. And the title of the piece, uh, Nasarema, is American Backwards. Right. Um, and I did talk about that in our initial process because the title comes from a, um anthropological article that was published in the 1950s mm -hmm. um, where this American anthropologist uh, wrote essentially a joke study that looked at the, um, I think they call it, the medicine box and water rituals of the Nasarima people. Okay. And it talks about, you know, the using the medicine box to take out a razor and the male lacerates his face every day or, or the, the female paints her face in order to be presentable and go out in public. So talking about things like shaving and putting on makeup as looking at it from an objective point of view. And it's kind of a way of kind of turning the idea of cultural analysis on its head and the kind okay. of... Um, Western stigmatized way that we tend to view the rest of the world and hierarchies and what we think of as civilized and not and all that stuff. So right. my interest was in kind of not necessarily taking that sort of uh, academic approach, but turning the ideas of what 
we identify with as being part of this nation, whether or not we truly feel like we claim the title of American or not. I do just because my family's history has been here for years. Mm -hmm. um, my one of my great great grandfathers fought in the Revolutionary War. I have like roots going all the way to Louisiana and, you know, my name comes from a freed slave who chose Chapin as a last name when he was freed. So like I feel that I that ownership is there, but there's also acknowledgement of the way that those terms have been twisted and used and how it's hard to like find any sort of pride or nationalism inside of what we do, especially right now. Right. Um, because the idea, especially you know, on an international level of what an American is, is right. kind of skewed. And not that it's any more or less skewed during the Bush administration or less. So I could think it's kind of like everything continuing in cycles. But right. I think it hit me harder here, especially after my the first presidential election I voted in was Obama in 08, which right. was like one of the most exhilarating, exciting things that of course. I've, you know, I've ever been a part of. Not to say I was really a part of it, but I did vote in Ohio because I was going to school there. So I felt like I really right. helped that cause. Um, right. And I felt like I could do that again when I was in Iowa in 2016 and to have that just literally fall flat in the most upsetting, disappointing way. Right. And not to say I think Hillary was a perfect candidate. We're not going to get into politics, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> we well, can go there. But I was going to say, it does sound like your work is getting to... A political place, and by political, I mean questioning um, a larger structure that holds a lot of power. Yeah, and I think that's one of the main acknowledgments, I think, in a lot of my work, or maybe just my awareness of the world, there's this um, overarching structure that no matter what we want or desire or think is best, we have very little control over, which may right. or may not be true. but right. And yeah, that's that's a very that is that is a very political statement. You know, like Janelle Monae said, shout out to you, Janelle. I love you, Janelle. <laughs> um, yeah, the personal. I mean, so many people have said this before too. Like, you know, the personal is political, as is the political is personal. And um, oftentimes, I think that when something is so personal, you can really sweat about it, or mm -hmm. you can really write about it. You know, however, whatever your medium is, you can really dive into mm -hmm. it. With a um a true not a true intention because I want to get into honesty versus that, but uh, with an intention that feels from what I can see very clear, like yeah. you know where you're coming from, and even if you don't know where you're going and you don't really understand it all, it it gives you enough fire to move forward, and I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing. I think that's the hope. Um, I think. I think the one thing that I took away from the election, this was obviously in conversations with my professors, because how does this not come up in like graduate level discussion oh, classes yeah. or with undergrads too, mm -hmm. is that I think <laughs> for better or worse, well, not for better or worse, for worse, very clearly that this was and is like a last gasp for white supremacy in this country. And I think that mm -hmm. that awareness kind of filtered into like all of my research throughout grad school, whether it was mm -hmm. looking at... Um, you know, hierarchy of techniques, you know, what companies have consistent funding, what yeah. what movement languages are privileged and what is considered um, concert dance versus what's what is considered, uh, what is considered uh, just attainable like, or accessible. Yeah. What's, yeah, yeah. what's considered um, what's supposed to be seen and, right. and, and, um, and, and the consumed value system mm -hmm. versus what's not supposed to be seen and consumed. And also who's setting those standards and values. Right. Too. Right. So, right. I mean, it's one thing. And I do think, you know, being in New York has been really exciting, especially noticing the the push and curation, especially towards like women of color and like non-gender, gender, gender yep. non-conforming folks. And I, and I think that's definitely a trend that's going to continue. But the main issue is that the money and the economic power, considering we're all still working in a nonprofit field, yeah, is still very much concentrated in, you know, older, whiter hands. <laughs> yeah. And hmm. I think we've I've actually never gotten this deep into politics, but I, I wanna be um I wanna be I wanna offer that I think I'm going through a similar transition. Um I think growing up in the South and going to Texas A and M, which mm -hmm. I, I claim with pride, I had a great time there. AM is a predominantly white institution. The black people, specifically African Americans, is like two percent. Wow. Um and so I think for a really long time, I had internalized a certain way of being. Yes, code switching. Yes, I knew how to code switch. And yes, I knew how to exist in different spaces. Mm -hmm. But I had internalized a way of being that was very in deference to whiteness as a way to just survive. So when I got to New York City. Like, wait. Um, well, I got pushback. 
And I got in the in the end, one of the most difficult things is to get pushback from a white person because they're basically saying like, "You deserve better. You should be you should be standing up." Which lends itself to another set of questions and problems, but right. And then you <laughs> and but then you and then I found myself in situations where I was defending my way of being. And it and it and it and it caught me in a crossfire, right? Because I'm like, no, you don't understand. Right. Like, this is how it is. And if I had if I had pushed back in this way, I would have had more problems. And then I'm going home and being like, well, Khadija, if you don't push back, it's not gonna get. It's this crazy. Yeah. It's this crazy um, conversation to have with yourself. And I I've I've had a lot a lot of conversations about the 2016 election with um, with a lot of different people. Yeah. Um. And I. I to be really, really honest, I'm really grateful for it because I think growing up, like I said, growing up in Texas, I I think in a lot of ways I've become so fearful of stepping on toes and. Well, I mean, I, and this is me speaking with a some like a only cursory understanding of like Southern culture, but yeah. my mom's from North Carolina, and like I've been spent yeah. some time down there, but I do know that generally the rule is you just don't really talk about politics because chances are you're going to disagree with somebody. Not only do you like, not talk about, not even if, like, not only do you not talk about politics, there's nothing to talk about. Like, mm. this is the way it is. And, and, and so conversations around, and it's not even politics. It's, it's really nuanced things. Like, um, for example, when I was in, when I was a high school student, I wrote this article about how Martin Luther King cheated on his wife and how if we can remember people in totality mm -hmm. they can become more human and so their success can seem less unattainable right yeah, my yeah. mom called me in biology which wow. was first period and she said if you don't get this pulled from this magazine i am going to kill you because at that <laughs> moment my mom literally thought that someone was trying to like gonna try to kill me I mean, I definitely would have made it. Would would not have made you a whole lot of friends, but did, right? Did you pull it? No, I didn't pull oh, it. Good, I didn't okay. even know how at the time, and I <laughs> talked to my English teacher about it, so I got approval. Like I didn't <laughs> just, but and I think, and that's what I mean in terms of you don't talk about. There are certain lines or conversations you do not have because the the ability to be critical on certain concepts or on certain people is considered blasphemous. Mm -hmm. So you and so you take you take all of that in my body and you put it in New York City where I feel like there's literally pushback on the sidewalk like the pigeons up here push back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You and and I really do feel like it was it was divine timing because he got elected in 2016 and I moved to New York two months later. Like was I was timing. yeah like <laughs> I was literally here I think when he got you know he was sworn in and so I just yeah I bring all that that up to say that. It really has put at least put me in a place of like, it's given me space to have conversations that I was never allowed to have, mm -hmm. um, and it's given me a community that supports that conversation, right. which I just I really didn't feel like I had in Texas. So, I that's incredible. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I I I am not a huge nor I'm not a fan in any way of the things that have come up, but to just for me to have the space to talk about them, I. Best we can hope for right now. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, not... at, least, at least until next fall. But yeah, so that is, yeah, that's that's that. So we're gonna switch gears a little I'm bit. Say, that was a that was a <laughs> tangent and a half. I'm so sorry about that. No, no, I think it's really, and I really want to offer too in terms of um, as we look at creative spaces. You know, a good friend of mine, a shout out to Sierra Ward, was talking to me, and she said, you know, there is no black dance space outside of Kumbe. And Kumbe doesn't even exist. I mean, well, the actual studio, the physical space, they still have classes and they're right. very, much, very, very much a part of the scene, but right. so having then, that permanent fixed home makes a huge difference, I feel like. And then what does it mean to have when, or I guess my larger question is, when space is primarily in white hands mm. um, and money and funding is primarily uh, given to those who... Um, place value on a body that is not of color or gender nonconforming, what does that do for the class taker? What does that do for the maker? What does that, like, yes, we, I've seen a lot of push towards, you know, equity, but when you don't have an infrastructure that can support it, 
which, mm-hmm. based on history of these spaces, <laughs> they don't. Um, what does that do, you know, for someone like me that you know, I started as an intern at Gibney? You know, what does that do for the interns? What does that do for this larger dance community? Right. Um, we have to have we have to talk about it at least once or twice, yeah. just to at least acknowledge where we are, so that I think we can move forward. Right. And kind of circling back to where we started like talking about the piece, I think the central question of this piece is like, how does dance fit into that conversation? Is it better to focus on building our own community with our friends and kind of build each other up? Or should we be making an appeal to these power structures to notice us? Like, and I don't, and I think the piece yeah. kind of tries to walk that line because, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I call myself a closeted classicist. I mean, like, yeah, I really enjoy, you know, more Eurocentric oriented art. Like I'm going to see Mark Morris tonight at um at BAM, the Pepperland piece, just because I like the Beatles and I'm interested to see what he does with live music and that. But right. at the same time there's an acknowledgement of that work has been built on a hierarchy that doesn't imagine space for people like you and I. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, so how do I reconcile my experience, study, training, years of just being aware of that. Right. And then also try to push the boundaries on what can fit into those spaces. And for me, that always kind of circles back to hip hop because that's yeah. kind of like the root core heart soul of my life in a lot of ways. And so yeah. while I would never quali- you know, qualify my work, especially the dance work as hip hop, because I know how um, important that lineage is to that community. And so I'm yeah. very tentative about claiming that. Yeah. It still definitely influences my work in a really real way. Um, kind of that, again, that ability to be just be like, Again, militantly and like openly who you are. Yeah. And then just being able to profit off of that. And then you can get into right. the conversation of like what type of hip hop is commercially successful versus what is. Yeah. And that's a whole nother strategy based off money, power, politics, all that stuff too. So. And I think you offer a really good question too of like um, mil- being militantly yourself mm-hmm. and who has been able to. Because pro- I can definitely say that I have been militant myself and I have been worried that I was about to get fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even if not, because fired is a, a, um, a huge, I feel like it's at the end of a spectrum. Right, right. But, you know. For those who don't know, there was a huge hair tie situation at Gibney that I was at the I was at the root of, mm. and what I actually did not think was being militantly myself became this um, became this larger conversation of me being militantly myself, and then having to have the conversation of explaining why me being militantly myself should be accepted in the dress code, and so this. This and I, and I bring that up as a way to. I never even knew there was a dress code at Gibney. Yeah, and I only bring it up because being fired is at the end of a spectrum. I would like to think, but then what happens when you are militantly yourself and then it's dismissed? But then you have to then validate it. And even if a space doesn't validate it, like how do you hone in? Is it this community that you have that allows you mm-hmm. to feel uh, validated, or and is it this larger conversation you have to have? about proof like how do you prove that do you have to uh in this particular situation when it comes to like i gotta pay rent so (laughs) Uh, but and also too i had to you know the the conversation was basically like is this is our head wrap something you want to fight for Yes. Well, because I'm not getting my hair braided until May, so maybe <laughs> yes, because I because I, I gotta wear it. So yeah. you had a conversation today, you had a conversation tomorrow. It's like we can have it though. Yeah. Yeah, but like you, I I just feel like especially in dance training, especially in dance training, well, that's a, mm-hmm. There's this push of like you have to be yourself. You need to be able to own who you are. But when owning that's who all, I, that's also pretty recent too. Oh no! Uh, I mean, in, in I mean the, I'm young, so I'm gonna say in the historical spectrum of dance training, like going, I'm thinking of like the hierarchy of ballet spilling into like American modern dance and spilling into postmodern, and then only recently has there been this claim of personal identity inside of that. Um, wow. Okay. I mean, and that's like me, like going off on like another historical tangent, but it's looking at how, you know, well, I guess I'm gonna say it on a podcast. Ballet operates, I feel like, in the dance world the same way like the English language operates in the Western world or even in the rest of the world. It's like if you don't understand this and can't speak to this, then you don't you really really matter. Yeah, and or are, you're oh, not educated, or, or you're, you're, not... you're not able to speak to those in power, unfortunately. Right. Um, right. And is... I think in any even in the acknowledgement of like what art is being championed right now between like black choreographers, white choreographers, and where those spaces are uh, being made for them. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the vocabulary and the, the movement language that they use, um, there's a trend of seeing this more classic, classically oriented 
balletic forms right. inside of black dance where right. using more diasporic forms inside of work by white choreographies tends to be more celebrated. So it's like right. this weird dichotomy the that... The same thing that you get in terms of... This was the whole argument around Green Book getting Best Picture mm -hmm. versus the Black Klansman because what we have is a... Uh, what is the language that you used was something of the diaspora celebrated by a white person. So this is a black man's story mm -hmm. that is celebrated by a white person and it got best picture right. versus black Klansman, which is all black every day, all things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah. And so how does, yeah, it's across mediums. It's happening. Um, yeah. That, that cognitive dis dissonance is, is just constant. <laughs> yeah. And so what do you do? And uh, guys, these are just larger, larger questions um i do think authenticity is something that people preach especially in the dance room especially like even as a as a as a kid growing up um but there is a real i think opportunity for conversation around when who you are isn't profitable or commercialable or highly celebrated the work that you have to do to maintain sanity mm -hmm. cuz that's that's a that not only a blow to the ego but it, it's just, a, I feel like it's a blow to my soul and my baby toe. Right. It's, I'm it's like, also to do with self-value, like especially when you're working inside of a capitalistic system that requires you to have income and money in order to just function, whether it's taking yeah. the subway, eating, clothing yourself, having a roof over your head. And and not to say we should like, let's shift towards socialism. I'm not going there either. But I think that there is, it's hard when we're in such an idealistic field where yeah. like we're, it's community oriented, we're all building stuff together. But in reality, we're all still caught like, really seriously competing with the same opportunities, same right. same pools of funding that are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So right. it it again that um that kind of contradiction of like we present ourselves one way and talk idealistically in one way, but then we're also and I don't think anyone, at least that I've come across as my peers have been like cutthroat about it, but there is this honest acknowledgement like, yep, I applied for that too. Yeah. Um, and actually with Cameron and Sophie it was funny when I invited them up to the pillow, they were like Oh, you did get that. I'm glad one of us did. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, and they're both choreographers, and that's a conscious part of my process. I want to work with people who have their own perspective and own set of strong ideas that can kind of uh, filter, temper, maybe even redirect mine, because I right. don't think I have all the answers. Right. Like, Lord knows. But I think that the best that I can do is put, as we were talking, put those ideas in dialogue with as many other people as possible. Yeah. And then what comes out of that can vary greatly depending on time of day, yeah. You know, you know. <laughs> what you ate that day. What you ate that day, how you're feeling. Well, not, you got enough sleep talking about being a cranky two-year-old because I don't yeah. get more than eight hours of sleep. <laughs> this is my life now. So this is a perfect segue because we're talking about opportunities. We're talking about uh, how do we support this work? I want to switch gears slightly and mm -hmm. talk about the resources that you had to support this work. Yeah. Be they, let's focus on financial. So mm -hmm. I know you got the residency at Jacob's Pillow. Yes, uh, that was uh, that wasn't that was just like a 10 day like starter period, which was really awesome. Um, the fellows themselves don't receive any funding, but the my collaborators did. So they were paid for their time, Amazing. which is awesome because they took 10 days off of work. I was still kind of transitioning back to New York. Um, so I didn't really have a job. I was like, this is awesome. It's like another yeah. vacation. But yeah. it's really it was really, really important and made it. I mean, having an exchange of currency makes things different as much oh, as you're course. like I mean I not that it changes the way I work with those two folks because they're my friends and I respect them and they respect me and it's great but there is a different edge when they're like oh no this is this is still professional there's like that well yeah because you're yeah. paying me for my time so I'm right. not in your rehearsal worried about if I'm gonna make rent this month exactly um so from there um the next thing I did was kind of reach out to venues. And I've had a relationship with Triskelion Arts for a really long time. I, mm -hmm. my, the first show I ever showed work at New York in, I don't know, 2012, 2013, was at Waxworks. Yeah. Um, which, shout out to Waxworks. I think they do incredible work on just kind of giving artists who have no idea, or in my case, I had no idea how to like put together a like a portfolio and send the right material, like a press kit and all this stuff that they require you to do. It's just like the basics of what's going to be expected of you going forward. Yeah. Um, and I did from there, like got on their radar, did a split bill. I, I was fortunate enough to perform with a circle of artists that were also part of that, you know, the Triskelion circle. And it's a very yeah. like kind of DIY family space. And um, it's been a big supporter for a long time. The last show I did, you saw I did a yes. split bill with Brendan, Brendan Drake, which was yes. incredible. Um, and it's great that I get a chance to do a whole evening. So the the yeah. actual evening is going to be my my work, our work. No, it's our work. It's definitely our work. It's actually probably more theirs than mine at this point. 
Um, and then a musical performance by a friend of mine, Tiffany Ortiz, who is um, another Brooklyn native. We both went to high school together and she makes really, really dope music. So I wanted to kind of cool. make it like a full encompassing evening. Yeah. Of just, yeah. Good times. So wait, so we got the Jacobs pillow. Yes, sorry. And we got Triskelion. And, and that was a, and they kind of cover presenter costs and they are, Amazing. so it's a, their Triskelion Arts Presents program is, I got, they get two nights that cover tech fees and all that stuff, mm -hmm. which is great because that can run an incredible amount of money. And then I was also really fortunate to get a, a grant from the Brooklyn Arts Council. Um, Amazing. Which was uh, kind of not like a last minute decision, but I was like, I really need this money. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and I think this year they had like a funding surplus, so they had a lot more money for individual artists. Mm -hmm. um, I went to like an information session where they mentioned that. I was like, well, why not give it a shot? Yeah. Um, and luckily I was one of the few selected and it was um, a really great kind of uh, stability base. I'm like, okay, I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay for rehearsal this week. Right. Because um, even if you're lucky enough to get like some of the subsidized space at like Mark Morris where it's like $10 an hour, right. it's so hard to like lock down hours because right. the studios are so full and you know, it, it just, if you rehearse once or twice a week, that money can add up, up very, very right, quickly. Right. And even now, like that grant's pretty much gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why we're running the Kickstarter now to kind of shore up funding for uh, performance fees, but also um, like there's the cost for Tiffany and her, her friends and collaborators yeah. to play with her. And then um, we're doing, for those of you who are interested in coming to the show, open bar, you get a free drink with your ticket. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can also drink water too. That's fine. That's probably safer. Yeah. Um, but I, there is, um, it's, you know, making, making and producing work is a, is a money drain. There's yeah. no, I mean, I don't think any of us really got into this field to, to be rich and famous, but right. it would be really nice to be able to sustain ourselves. And, right. um, yeah, off of the work would be great, but in yeah. a lot of cases, it's finding outside sources. Like for me, I've kind of gravitated towards teaching and education, which kind of came out of grad school because that's what for better or worse. That's like that. That's what it really prepares you for. Like you, you, right. you can be a great artist without, without a master's, but in terms of teaching in higher ed, just because those three letters make a difference, they totally do. Because speaking of like structures that we have no control over that have precedents that were set long before we ever existed, right. Right, and so we got the we got the Triskelion, we got rehearsal space, we got Brooklyn a Kickstarter. Council, yeah. Can you let the people know how they can get to this Kickstarter? Yeah, uh, if you search my name, Chafin Seymour, C H A F I N S E Y M O U R, mm -hmm. or the piece title Nasarema, that's N A C I R E M A, or American backwards. I might have said that wrong. Um, yeah, we're campaigning right now. We we just uh, started on Monday. We're about twenty percent there. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, any amount is great and know that you're giving directly to artists who have really been super generous with their time, talents, efforts. Um, yeah. And again, I've been really lucky with a group of folks that um, have kind of bought in uh, to the ideas that I brought into the room yeah. and really taken them and made them their own. And, you know, the moments in rehearsal when <laughs> they're figuring stuff out on their own and they're not even asking me questions, I'm like, cool, they got it. I don't even need to worry about it anymore. <laughs> and that's also kind of like how I work in general. Um, yeah. But, um, it's just really, really uh, humbling and gratifying to do the utmost I can to support them at this point. Because yeah. um, uh, as much as, you know, the cult of personality is really strong in the dance world and like the people want an individual and they want to know who's making and they want it. It's like knowing the chef at a restaurant. Like right, you want, you want right. to, there has to be a central figure. I'm, I wish there was more I could do to kind of like face that and move away from that and make it about yeah. us and, and not about me, but about the people I bring together. Because I think, the people I brought together are incredible. Yeah, um, and also too, like, yes, because I felt the same way about Jasmine, and I feel like, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but I, I feel as though she's totally about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I, what I too offer is that yes, it's I feel like it's so fifty fifty mm -hmm. because like you and she brought together these amazing people. And there's something about your vision and her vision that literally brings out the magic in all of the collaborators. Like I, Jasmine, you know how I feel about you um, as a collaborator, as like a me for like me personally speaking, she brought out things that I never thought mm -hmm. I would ever do. And so to then work with 10 other people, including her, which would be 11, and just wow. see what her vision like that seed can plant mm -hmm. it to it feels so and let it kind of run its course and like doing your best not to direct it yeah she I mean, you guys just i just imagine that you just like she just 
you you know how to bring people in like you do your job of directing and we just try to like do what you ask and it all works together Mm -hmm. so it's super decentralized it's like everybody's just trying to like find the wave and then we ride the wave and then we find the wave and then we ride the wave and then we stop yeah and then we do it again and yeah i think um that decentralized notion is totally happening and it's something so beautiful about it well i think dance in its best form can like and this is me going back to like grad school theoretical land. And yeah. this, when this happens in rehearsal, like Cameron would be like, grad school, because I just start talking about <laughs> theoretical things that aren't related to like, is it on the left or the right though? Um, <laughs> but I think dance at its best can be a form of reimagining how societal structures can work and how we can interact yes. with each other and, and cooperate. Yes. Um, yes. Like in in my company, I, I, you didn't see me for those of you listening, but I did air yes, quotes when I said company. Yeah. I use the term collective consciously because, yeah, I bring a lot of ideas to the take a, a table and I'm the one taking the financial responsibility, which is, you know, a important. Def- definitely, yeah. definitely not a small deal. But in terms of the actual creative process, like, I'm not really interested in my ideas. I know how I feel about things. So yeah. the best, I mean, again, that whole idea of just trying to put those ideas in dialogue with as many others as possible and leaving yeah. room for there to be like questions about like, wait, why are we doing this? Yeah. And that took some time, especially with like a new group, but it's definitely at the point now where like if I start going off at a tangent and making something new, they're like, yo, we have 45 minutes of material. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, please stop. Accountability it's like, you, it's like, is you real. Need, you need to start editing. I'm like, you're right. Thank you, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So I'm I'm totally here for, yeah, I'm totally here for this decentralized notion. I really do think, uh, I totally agree this whole reimagining concept. I mm-hmm. feel that. I've seen it. I'm here for it. Um, that said, how have you been able? It is y'all. I googled it. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, how have you number one maintained or tried to maintain? What are some ways that you're implementing mental health and mental mm-hmm. wellness for yourself? And then, what have you done in terms of your directorship to create space for your collaborators to kind of maintain some kind of wellness, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, I I think self-care for me has been kind of a newer notion. Like up until I think like pretty much right before we met initially in like 2016, I had been on a pace of got out of undergrad, came back to New York. And because I was from New York, I'm like, I'm just going to make it here. This is it. This is my city. And which is just yeah. a ridiculous thought to have in general. But like when you're 22, you don't know any better. Yeah. Um, and so I put myself in a lot of situations where I was not checking in with how I was feeling about the work I was doing and not um, checking in with my relationships, like friendships, collaborating relationships, personal relationships, romantic relationships. And a lot of that kind of burned itself out in four years to the point where I was in not a healthy place. I was really kind of generally unhappy, feeling angry and frustrated and not being able to direct it or redirect it in like the worst possible ways. And then, you know, turning to other forms of like, you know, self-care, which can be more detrimental than not. Yeah. Uh, whether it's, you know, drinking, anything else like that, like substance abuse. Um, I mean, I was fortunate that I didn't, it didn't fully like form into something that serious, but I was definitely in a place where I, I knew I needed to step away. And I yeah. think I, I, grad school had always been like on my mind. Um, yeah. And that was part of the reason that I decided to go then because all this stuff kind of came to a head. Um, I did. I mean, I have been in therapy. I've been. I think it's. I think everyone should do it. I think. Yeah. We should all have a primary physician and a, and a primary therapist. Like a thing. Yeah. I think it only help. Um, and just knowing, getting to know myself better in that yeah. situation. So taking myself out of New York, being in, in the middle of cornfields in Iowa. Yeah, it is. It is literally the middle of nowhere, y'all. It's it's out there. Um, but it was exactly what I needed. Um, and thankfully, I was fortunate enough to have friends and family still in New York so I didn't feel like totally disconnected but being in a new place around new people where there wasn't as much of a stigma is the wrong word an an expectation about how my work related or who I related to or what circle of people I was in was really refreshing um and I think since coming out of that I mean I can also speak to the benefits of a mindfulness practice in whatever way that manifests for you that could be actual mindfulness meditation which I do sometimes where it could be as simple as like sitting down and like editing music which is like really um, kind of relaxing and therapeutic for me mm-hmm. um, or playing a stupid baseball game on my phone like I, I it's a matter of just kind of finding things where you can um, step away especially in the dance world where like 
your professional work, your feelings, your desires are all, and your again, your personal relationships are all kind of tied into yep. this single thing, yep. which is one of the things I love about dance. Like the right. best people I've ever met in my life are all, are I've all met through dance. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's it, it's rough where you're it's just a, like. Because it's all one thing. It's all one place. Right. So then when you're hanging out with your friends and then you're all complaining about the grant that you didn't get, you're like, wait, what is I that? I need some <laughs> folks that didn't apply to yeah. this grant. Or just just and some folks who, you know, I mean, and, and my best friends, I mean, I think we can still talk about that and still kind of move on to other things and then yeah. jump into a conversation about Game of Thrones or something else that's much less um, dire in terms of our day-to-day operations. Yeah. But there is um, a limit to that. And I think, knowing and I, things that they forget I'm an only child I grew up like really social I'm, I'm I'm an extrovert I'm pretty outgoing yeah but at the same time I took for granted how important taking time to myself was mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and I think knowing that and kind of being able to check in with that mm-hmm. that and uh, you know and this is another thing I think that has become really important especially when I was in Iowa and coming back to New York that and maybe this is a dancer thing but probably a human thing that the bodily health and mental health are so heavily connected for me that if I'm yeah. not feeling good in my body, the chances are I'm not feeling good emotionally either. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that's just been a committed to like uh, going to the gym or eating better or, again, getting more sleep, going to take class, um, mm-hmm. trying to find ways to keep myself feeling good as a whole, complete person. Because yeah. um, it's not there's never just one thing. Yeah. 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 They're all interrelated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Side, uh, not side note, kind of like tangential note. Um, I have a 25 ounce water bottle. Um, I guys, I have cerebral dermatitis. And so it's, it's basically like a flaky scalp, but it's a little bit worse than dandruff because it has to do with like my pores. Needless to say, a woman reached out to me and she was like, if you drink more water, it might change it. So I've been just trying to make it a goal to just drink two water bottles. If I can get to two, literally y'all, one night, I chugged one water bottle as I walked up the steps at 11 p.m. And then I chugged another water bottle 30 minutes later. So I'm really trying to get it by any means necessary. Yeah. But I just want to offer that, like, similar to what you were saying, it's not just one thing. And I've noticed a a pretty big difference just in terms of energy if I just get two water bottles in, mm. like at, like at the baseline, I don't have to do, I don't have to be nice to people. I don't have to look both <laughs> ways before I cross the street. As long as I get these water bottles mm-hmm. in, I'm a better person. And so I just want to offer that, guys. Water's truth. I think, I don't know how true this is, but I read somewhere I was told at one of the yoga studios that I worked at that I think the figure that if you're an active person, which I guess dancers qualify as, we yeah. should be drinking half our body weight in ounces yes. per day in water. Yes. Which, um, if you ever try to do that, you have to go to the bathroom literally every 20 minutes. But <laughs> It helps. And also, too, because I did the three liters of water challenge for like two or three oh, yeah. weeks back in college, and it does taper off. Like, your body gets right. used, used to, to how it. much That's water true. you're getting in. That's true. And also, I don't know if you guys remember, but on the last episode with JB, um, she said that she was just trying to re- drink half a gallon. And mm. half of gallon, I believe, is 60 to 70 ounces, which the average person's body weight, I think, is somewhere along Around 60, that, yeah. 70, 80 ounces of water a day. And so even if you just make it a goal to, like, drink half that and then, like, work your way up, I think you'll notice a difference. Super, like, small story. Shout out to you, Diane Bevard. Diane Bevard is my ballet teacher. And I would wait to drink water until, like, after ballet. But that was my second technique class in the day. I Mm-mm. noticed... Uh-uh. That somewhere in between Tondus and Ronda Jams, I started to get pissed. <laughs> I was like, dang, you're getting on my nerves. Like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, y'all, I was legit angry. Like, I like she's like really making me mad. I drank water and I was like, damn. Damn, I was bugging. Like, man, she wasn't even tripping. Like, that was all me. And someone recently told me, shout out to Solana, that your kidneys are related to stress and anger. Mm-hmm. And so I think just filtering out my kidneys with the water, I get Can less angry. Can only help. <laughs> Not to say that, like, people, if they piss you off, like, if people are out there coming for you, like, obviously uh, do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But water can, I think, lighten the blow. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, I was going to say, like, you got mad in ballet class. Was that just at the supremacy or just not? I'm joking. I'm no, joking. it was not the supremacy. <laughs> no, it was literally the lack of water. Like, Diane was probably the best, living her best life and giving me all that I needed. And I just needed to drink some water and be cool. Um, but you talked about you yeah. um, in your directorship. What are some things that you're doing to try to, like, promote or create space for people mm-hmm. to have that time to themselves or 
whatever they need. I think it's need. I think it's a matter of kind of meeting the everyone where they are on that day. So I might come in with a plan of like we're gonna drill this section, review this section, finish this one. Mm-hmm. But then I if like we walk around and everyone's like dead tired on the floor. And shout out to the crew from Nasarama. We've been rehearsing predominantly from like eight a.m. to twelve. Yeah, because that's when the rehearsal space is open. Yeah. Um So we we we've been getting up very early on Friday mornings and meeting. And so at the first half an hour rehearsal, people are drinking coffee and eating breakfast. And I just kind of let that happen because I'm in the same place, too. I'm just like half away. feel like I'm so happy y'all are here. Thank you. Um, And so just kind of leaving space for it to be about us being together in addition to making this thing and not having it feel so task managed. Um, And part of that may be because, like, I don't have the resources to pay them by the hour for every single rehearsal. And, and, you know, I feel incredibly blessed that they would commit that time even without that. Yeah. so there's that acknowledgement of like, I want to respect them as individuals, as people, as much as they're respecting me as a director inside of that work. Right. Um, so that's been a big part of it and big, I think has really contributed to, feel free to correct me, crew, if I'm wrong, but uh, to our ability to kind of just communicate freely and feel comfortable with each other. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the first part of our process, like after I came back from Jacob's Pillow, we started working in about September. And a lot of those first, actually the first four months of rehearsals, there wasn't a whole lot of conceptual work. Again, it was a lot of, building Sweating. familiarity i was you know there was uh, it was partnering body work trying to get to know each other physically yeah. being more comfortable and yeah. having that lead into more conversation and then kind of around january then bringing in a lot of the conceptual ideas that had kind of filtered out for my thesis mm-hmm. after i'd have time to like digest and be like that was only there because my thesis advisor liked that i need to cut that out or like mm-hmm. that's not something and also the type of work you're making in an academic environment is not necessarily going to entertain an audience for 30 plus minutes right and at the end of the day right. That's, I mean, and this is me speaking for my work, no one else's, but I, I'm interested in that that dichotomy between like what's entertainment value and what's uh, demonstrative, what's instructive, um, yeah. what can you generate dialogue while also kind of subverting their expectations. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one thing I got after the initial version of this work that was made with collaborators at the University of Iowa was that it's a lot of fun. And like, you didn't read any of the subtext of any of that. But mm. again, that's uh, that. And that gave me a question like, okay, what can I do to do so like, yes, you're liking this, but why are you liking this? You're right. laughing, but why? Right, um, right. And that I think is just kind of how I am interested in working. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was raised on irreverent comedy of like Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. very socially conscious, very racially oriented, very, uh, but also very tied to their own experience. Mm-hmm. But they're able to make that relatable by making people laugh. And I think humor, right. humor is a dangerous thing because it can lead towards uh, trivializing things, um, which is yeah. not something I want to do, especially when we're, the overarching themes of what we're talking about are super heavy and political and emotional right. and all that. But, at, you know, in terms of again going back to the mental health thing for me it's like if i can't laugh at it what am i gonna do right oftentimes yeah laughter is it's just like the it's like the peanut butter but the medicine the, can- yeah. the medicine the candies and the medicine the medicines and the candy right yes. or, or it might have to do with my fear of being vulnerable in stage because dance has been such like a shield for me most of my life it's like the only place not the only place one of the few places i found measured confidence and kind of feel like I know who I am and have a sense of self in terms of mm-hmm. what I stand for and what I believe in. Mm-hmm. So then it's hard for me to like, I mean, this piece has been kind of leaning into questioning that, like, does any of this matter? Like, what's yeah. the efficacy of dance in a world where like people in Flint still don't have clean water? Right. Like, you know, like all right. that stuff. So it's like, how <laughs> how can I rationalize what I'm doing when there's so much more at stake? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just try to be around good people and be able to have those conversations with them, which is kind of back to the, yeah, yeah, in in process, it's being available to whatever, whatever comes in the room. Yeah. And I've actually been just going back to Jasmine just for a bit. Mm -hmm. I think what's been super helpful, at least as a, because I'm not a director. I'm not a yet. collaborator. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I see myself as a director yet, but I love, I love and also to maybe in a way, because I do direct these conversations. So yeah. <laughs> see, there you go. <laughs> but um I've been just thinking a lot about the power of performance. And I think, at least for me, because I do have a podcast and I work with Jasmine, there were things that I tried as a performer in the piece Collective Terrain, in the piece You Think You Fancy, mm-hmm. um, that I just I really didn't know I was gonna try up until that moment. Mm. Um but just going back to this thing about like being available and open, I've been really, I think as a performer and as a, a person, I've been really um, 
rigid about where I get vulnerable and I'm only going to get vulnerable for a certain amount of time and I'm only really going to get vulnerable with a certain amount of people. And so in terms of rehearsal process, I found myself really willing to take chances and really willing to like live and breathe in a way that I wouldn't on stage. Um, And so I've just been thinking a lot about like, how can I bring that to performance? Because I have worked with such great directors that have really given me space to do that in rehearsals, but then going into you think you fancy, which is basically an improvisational score, Mm -hmm. that same um, curiosity and openness is not only like pressed upon in this performance, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's required. It's like, yo, if you're filming something, go off. Like it's only going to add to the work. Mm -hmm. And so not only, I just, I just offer that, like not only how can we be available in like great directors push us to be available in rehearsal, but like, how do we carry that? into these conversations that I don't even plan for, into these performances that I'm like, oh, yo, this feels good. I'm going to go for this. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a way for that, the act of being vulnerable also is an opportunity for me to learn for myself. Absolutely, the yeah. same In performance, the same way it is in rehearsal. Because I don't think I was able to do that up until this weekend. Also, that whole idea of like, who is a performance for? Because the idea of like performance in theater, also even of it, you know, going back to the, the structural things we're talking about, yeah. like that goes back to like classical theater again, a Eurocentric idea of like putting yeah. things on stage for to be devoured by the eyes, and like yeah. the whole idea of the gaze inside of that is really kind of hard to navigate, especially when you're trying to make a piece that's about the group of people inside of it. Yeah. And so, where do you walk that line between like? This is about us, and you're building a world that people are getting a glimpse into. Or, yes. or do you turn that out back on the audience, be like, "We see you." Yeah. Um, and in this piece, I'm trending more towards that. There is some like fourth wall breaking. There is some talking, which I haven't done before in pieces, and I'm still like, "Is this the right idea?" But I'm do. I, it's there. Yeah. Um, and I, and it. I think again, given the difficulty of the subject matter of just trying to make a piece about anything political or cultural related yeah. to this nation right now, I think that. I had a really awesome uh, graduate advisor, a uh, graduate advisor um, and thesis committee member who, uh, Melinda Jean Meyer, shout out, she's on faculty at University of Iowa, former Trisha Brown dancer, really lovely shout human out to being, you. Um, who said, lean into that insecurity. It's okay yeah, to feel that way. Like, just yeah. go with that. Yeah. And so that's kind of been the driving force of like, I don't know what any of this means, but I know I have to do it. Yeah. 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 And just inviting that mm-hmm. into the stage. For sure. And knowing that, like, that that same curiosity is just available. Like this performance is as much for me as it is for you. Yeah. Like I'm going to walk sure. away feeling so good and as not, are you. And not to say I want to ride into catharsis because I'm, there are artists who are really incredible about being able to build that in a really earnest and honest way. And I'm not sure I'm emotionally mature or available enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's also a reason why I'm not in the work. That's not yeah. an accident. <laughs> um, I try to work with people that I feel like are, I mean, that I admire in some way or another. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say that are better or stronger than me, but that's a, that's an unfair qualifier. But that, but that I admire for one reason or, or another. Or maybe you're emotionally available in a way that yeah. you just don't yeah, want to yeah. be right now. And again, that has to do with the trying to balance voices and trying to get people who have different skill sets, different ideas. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a cheesy thing to say, but strength and diversity really does mean something, especially in an artistic process that yes. requires collaboration. Yes. Yes. So, Shaven, where can the people find you? Where are yeah. the plugs? Um, I ha- I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Instagram is Chafin, C-H-A-F-I-N-S-E-Y. And the profile picture is of a large white dog. It's not me. It's a family <laughs> dog. Um, but And then Facebook, Seymour Dance Collective is the name of the group. We have a website. Um, yeah, feel free to be in touch in whatever ways. And Shafin's really sense. good about responding to his website. Usually. I don't know if you guys remember, but in the couple series, Natty and Hollis and Dubois and Camry were also really good on their website. So, guys, you know, literally, I'm getting people that are really great with their websites. So, so just, just reach out. We're always really excited. We're like, yeah, we got it. Yes. Someone actually did, did the contact us box? Yes. Whoa. So don't feel intimidated. They will answer. My people have answered. Um so yeah uh any final notes oh please plug the performance one more time yeah may 17th and 18th tickets are on sale now at triskelionarts.org if you can't make the show please consider supporting us on kickstarter it's nasarema is the title of the piece or my name chapin seymour um yeah this piece is about community we want to keep building and growing that yes so as always i want you to make it live i want you to make it breathe if you're feeling insecure about making it i hear you and i've been there too But I encourage you and I always want you to 
make it anyway. Um, or just, you know, just make it. Bye, guys. Bye. Say bye to you. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Struggling.